We are con- uh, we're not continuing. We're starting a brand new series tonight called our Church Etiquette Series. Um, and I am so, so excited about it. If you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the entire purpose of doing this Church Etiquette uh, Series is simply uh, to make sure that we're doing right by God, that we're conducting our church um, the way that we should conduct our church. Right? We're going to talk about some of those things and we're going to talk about some of the misconceptions. We're going to do some myth busters over the course of this thing. And we're going to cover a ton, a ton, ton, ton of different stuff. We're going to talk about how to, we're going to talk about fellowship. We're going to talk about church leadership. We're going to talk about um, authority of the word. We're going to talk about how we interact with each other, how to be single in the church. We're going to talk about all kinds of different stuff, man. I got a huge, I mean, a page long list of different stuff. And some of them will, some of them will interact with each other and they'll intertwine with each other. Uh, but uh, it's going to be, I think it's going to be great. Um, what I want to do tonight is I want to, uh, I want to simply just discuss the church membership. That's, kind of, that's where we're going to start tonight. We're going to start with church membership. You can't have a series on church etiquette without discussing the church. Without discussing what, discussing what the church is. And we, what you're going to find is in this, we're going to find some myth busters already. And just kind of talking about some of that stuff. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to pray and then we're going to get right into it. Dear Lord, we pray that you would meet with us here in this place. That you would help us to rightly divide your word, Lord. And that we would be great stewards of, the, uh, of being uh, members of this body, Father. We just pray that you would uh, bless us, meet with us here, God. And we'll give you all the honor and glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray and we're thankful. Amen. Are you in 1 Corinthians 12? All right, 1 Corinthians 12. Let's look at verse 13. We're going to hop around. Now, if you know me, you know that I'm very much a very, uh, I'm, an, I'm, I'm an expository preacher. And what that means is I'm the kind of guy where I like to look at an entire passage in itself, grab my points uh, from there. So uh, topical messages really aren't super, not, not, I'm not going to say fun, but I'm going to say um, I try to stay away from them a little bit because topical and textual messages can sometimes uh, bring error. And I don't want to not divide the word properly. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but I think this is going to be a good little series and um, I'm excited for it. But we're going to look at that. We're going to bounce around a lot, so be ready for that. Uh, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 13. It says this, For by one spirit are we all baptized into the body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink uh, into one spirit, okay? Uh, so if you're a note-taking person for this first part, uh, part one of the church etiquette series, number one, salvation is what gets you into the body. Salvation is what gets you into the body. I always feel a little weird talking about salvation uh, in, you know, a lot, especially to like the Sunday night crowd, the Wednesday night crowd, is because it's usually the people who already um, have it. Um, have it settled, but you know what? It'd be foolish to assume. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but it's important for us to understand that you gotta have uh, the basics down. My man, brother Mike over there, tutors math uh, during the week, and I think it's important to know, um, especially this past week. We, I remember we were, I uh, was able to help out with a, with a student uh, this week, and she's in college algebra, but she was having some problems with some really, really basic principles, some really, really basic principles, and I was like, whoa. I mean, I'm not a math tutor, but I know that. I know that much, you know, and so I was able to try to help her out. Uh, but it was, but I know that after the fact, they were saying, man, if she can't, if she still struggles with some of those almost elementary principles, she may have a hard time in college algebra. And uh, the same premise works as a child of God. You got to make sure you understand the root, understand the foundation, because it's from that um, that you grow. Shout out to the math nerds. All right. So, uh, so salvation is what gets you into the body. 
we have to understand that the church is more than four walls. You understand that, right? The church is more than four walls. The church is more than this cafe room that we're in right now. It's more than the sanctuary. It's more than the 16.6 acres of Orlando Baptist Temple. It's, it's, it's bigger than all of that stuff. We have to realize that the, the church is the people, not the four walls. We get our word church from the word ecclesia, which means a called out assembly. Right, a called out assembly. And I love what happens here in 1 Corinthians as, as Paul is dealing with the Jews who are still struggling with some, uh, with some of the principles for the law. He said, man, uh, let's look at it again. He says, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles. Paul let the disciples know or let the Jews know that the mystery of the gospel was that salvation was not just going to be to the Jews but also to the Gentiles. Also to the Gentiles. And so that was a big, I mean, a big, you know, staple in history, um, especially when it comes down to that. So he says, man, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or not. We are baptized into one body. When people think about joining the church, they think about joining a facility. Right. People come and they say, hey, I would like to be a member of Orlando Baptist Temple. I would like to be a member of Starlight Baptist Church. I would like to be a member of Tabernacle Baptist Church. And that's great. But could, would, could I get you to maybe subscribe a minute to the fact that there may be people who join a facility but don't ever join the body? You ever thought about that? Some people join the facility. They may come to the church and they may, they may come and join the church. But the Bible says that there will be people who stand before him and say, stand before God and say, Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. What we have to understand is we can't get so caught up in the traditionalism of things. We can't get caught up on mama's faith or grandma's faith or be a member of Orlando Baptist Temple because my parents were members and my great grandparents were, were members. And that's nice and that's, and that's endearing. But it's important to realize that the church is much more than a facility. Facility. It is an actual body. We can't get into church etiquette if we don't have a good understanding of what the body actually is. And the first thing we have to understand in this church etiquette series is who the body is. The body is not your seats. The body, again, is not this cafe or it's not the, the parking spot that you pulled, your, you pulled your car into today. The body is the people, the membership of it. And what's important to realize is that the Bible lets us know that the body is made up of different parts. You don't have five heads and 13 arms and 326 fingers. And that's an alien, isn't it, Joshua? Right? That's, that's, that's not going to look very fun at all. It's going to be actually really scary. Uh, but no, he says there are two eyes and there's a nose and there's a mouth. And there's how many teeth? 32 of them. 32, you got two ears, you got two arms, and most people have ten fingers, right? And you have all different kinds of characteristics, you know? It's important to even to think about small things like if you lack a chromosome, it may send you into severe retardation, you know? So it's important to realize that even small, uh, seemingly minute factors of the body play a huge part. Play a huge part. And every member of the body, not the building, the actual structure of the people that make up the body of Christ are all operate in different facets. And that's going to play a part as we look a little bit further here in this, um, in part one today. So number one, salvation gets you into the body. Number two, flip over to Hebrews chapter 10. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 10. How do you know that God drinks coffee? The Bible says that Hebrews. <laughs> hey, I'm not a joke teller, but I had to just slide that one in there real quick. All right, Hebrews chapter 10, looking at verse 25, 
it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. If you write in your Bible, you may want to circle that verse 25 and write ecclesia in the corner, right? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as ye see the day approaching, all right? This one is going to be a little bit of a, a myth buster. We're going to kind of uh, buck against a little traditionalism here. Before you go, <clears throat> I don't need church. I can assemble with other believers and do our own thing. I want you to take a pause real quick. Because that'll be the first thing that people usually say when you bring this up to them. The assembling of ourselves together, right? So we can talk about just a few of us gathering together or even just a, a couple of us gathering together. We can be having church, right? Because we're that called out assembly. We're, we're assembling, of ourselves, uh, assembling of ourselves together. But before you say I can go and get with a couple believers, you know, and we'll have church. My question to you is do you actually? Do you actually, um, um, when, when, you, when you think about these things, are you willing to, I'm willing to bet, and I'm not a betting man, right? We're not casting lots in church, I, I'm, I promise, right? But I'm willing to bet that the person who walks away from, from church doesn't have a good structure as a child of God. I'm willing to bet that if, and this is, and so we're going to talk a little, about, a little bit about organized religion here for a second, right? Organized, and of course we're not a religion, we're a relationship, but you know what I mean, just for the use of semantics, right? Willing to bet that most people who do not participate in the organized organization of it, a lot of times are going to be people who won't do it at all. As in, here's the truth, all right? Something that I've learned as a pastor is one thing that I've learned already is that, um, Sometimes church on Sunday and church on Wednesday are the only Bible that some people ever get. We're talking about only people who only come every once in a while or, or they miss most of the time and they, they come every once in a blue moon, uh, whatever it may be. What I learned from that um, already is that there are some people who they come to church on Sunday mornings and that is the only Bible they will get all week. First off, that's a huge error because you're, the most important time, we talked about this last week, is spending that intimate, personal, one-on-one -on -one time with God in your closet. That's the most important time. This is only adding a cord to your strand. You see what I'm saying? But it's important for us to realize, uh, before, before, you, before you say, I can do that, do you actually organize fellowship? Uh, walking away from organized fellowship, sometimes you see people falling back into their old ways. They're getting back in with the, with the wrong crowd and they're, they're kind of doing the wrong thing. And your walk with God has a tendency to become uh, choppy or even suffer a little bit. Because the truth of the matter is, whether you stand on organized gathering or not, it helps give us some kind of structure. It helps give us some kind of structure. For instance, right now I'm taking a class called Counseling Techniques and Relations, right? And my teacher said, um, you know, I have to go um, in, in October uh, to uh, Virginia uh, to take, a, take class for a little while, um, for a week. So I got to go over there and do that. But before that, we have what's called pre-intensive work, right? And it's basically like 12 or 13 uh, chapters, um, cha 13 or 15 chapters with, and different presentations and stuff. And there's 13 or 15 quizzes. And she just says, okay, go ahead and get this done. Make sure it's done the week before you get here. Now, you may say, okay, that's no problem. But for me, I'm the kind of person where I need structure. So with that, it immediately it overwhelmed me, right? I'm like, what do you want, where do I start? You know, and so I, I emailed my professor and I said, hey, um, what do, how do we, can you give me some tips on how to structure this so that I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I'll, I'll miss things or I'll not get it done in time or help me, you know? And she says, well, we, how about you and I work together 
and we can try to come up with a reading plan so that and, and all these other stuff. So I sat down uh, one night and I took all three different of those textbooks and all the chapter readings and figured out how they work together. Some of them uh, across three books, they have the same kind of concept or they're teaching the same thing. So instead of, you know, you can read Hawkins, Hawkins one, young, young five and and Sawson, you know, seven, because they're all talking about the same thing. So we structured it so that you can every week map out what you're reading until you get it done. And the way that we got this done is if there was nine weeks till class, we'll get it done in seven. So it was able to help, help out a lot. What does it do? It helped me get a structure. So what, you, may, you may say, well, pastor, speak for yourself. I'm not like you. I, I got my own thing going on and I handle it the way that I'm going to handle it. But the truth of the matter is for many of us, without the structure of the physical counterpart to the physical body, many of us will fall by the wayside. Many of us would fall by the wayside. It's important. How often um, are, you, uh, are you spending uh, time in fellowship with other believers? Now, I don't know if I gave you number two, but number two was physical membership reflects the spiritual one. Physical membership reflects the spiritual membership. It's only a mirror. Remember as we work through the Gospel of John, we're talking about how every physical thing has a spiritual counterpart. Remember, remember uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he tells him, uh, you know, uh, he says, hey, I got to be born again. He says, can I go back into my mother's womb? I can't do that. Shall I return thither when I'm old? He says, no, you have to be born again spiritually. He says, just as you can feel the wind and the effects of the wind and you can't see it, the Holy Spirit works the very same way. This is the same kind of thing. It's kind of a mirror. It's a reflection um, of the spiritual walk. So you're right. You don't need church. You're right. You don't need church. You, don't, you have me on record saying you don't need it. You don't have to go. But here's the truth. Without a structure, we have a tendency to fall off the wagon. We have a tendency to fall off the wagon. It reflects the spiritual membership. I'm not going to go into detail in these next few things that I'm about to say because we're going to give specific time for it. So if you miss it and you don't get to write it down, don't worry about it. We're going we're gonna to come back to it when they get their own special uh, Sunday night. Uh, but it reflects spiritual membership. What does spiritual membership look like? Working toward unity encouraging each other um, and growth and development, spending time in worship with the Lord, musically and otherwise, reading the word, times of prayer, right? So you have all these different things going on at once that reflect what a membership, what the collective body of God should already be doing, edifying each other, growing in one another, being in one accord, spending time in worship, musically and otherwise, reading the word, spending time in prayer. These are things that the spiritual body should be doing in conjunction with one another. Having a physical structure is only going to help make sure that that happens. You know what I'm saying? That's why they say three, two, thrive, and four to score. Because listen, you, the more strands you add to your walk, the better you're going to be. Listen to me. I'm not sure what kind of church you go to or what kind of church you came from. But we don't, we don't preach the same message three times a week. If you come to Sundays, like for instance, if you came to Sundays, if you go to church every day this week, right? Monday through Wednesday, and of course Wednesday's pending because Dorian is a nuisance, right? So uh, you came to, if you came to Sunday school today, then that means you got to sit here and we talked about Proverbs chapter 1, right? Then you heard uh, uh, how to manhandle your hurricanes, right, in, 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 uh, in Sunday morning service. Tonight, you're t we're going through the church etiquette series, and on, and on Wednesday night, we're going to continue in chapter 8 of, of our Journeying with John series through the Gospel of John, right? So... Four different, little, uh, four different little church services, all were different things, which all help collectively to help you to grow. 
You see what I'm saying? And so it's something that's something that's important. And these are all these are all things that we should be doing as a part of a spiritual body. But most cases, the physical one is going to help us do that. And that's why we have it. It's a space for the spiritual body to meet. It's a space for the spiritual body to, uh, to get together and kind of grow together um, and, and fulfill what the Lord wants us to do is in, to increase um, in wisdom and favor with man. We're going to look at that passage here soon. All right, increasing wisdom and favor with man. So long story short for that point, um, do you need church? No, but should you go? Yes. Why? Because you want to talk about the church gathering together. This is going to help you to be the most beneficial and be the most, uh, get the most efficiency out of your walk. Am I making sense, church? All right. Don't, don't, don't go quiet on me. Give me some feedback. Number three. I said, number one, the church gets you into the body. All right, number, uh, salvation gets you into the body. Number two, physical membership reflects the spiritual one. Number three, salvation is the only real prerequisite for church membership. Salvation is the only real, the only real prerequisite to salvation. Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, if you give me a second, I'll tell you. Sheesh. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I don't want you to say pastor said. We're going to look at it together. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And we are going to look at verse 42. It says this. Um, uh, back, back up to verse 41. I'm sorry. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, Pastor, what are you saying? If we think about what we talked about just a second ago, right? The spiritual body or the physical body being a, being a mirror, right, of the spiritual body, then what's the prerequisite to salvation or to getting a part of the body? It's just getting saved. Becoming a child of God is receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's how you are. The Bible says a spirit of adoption. Um, so when we look at that, you talk about getting into the actual body of Christ. All you've got to do is be saved. All you've got to do is be saved. True or false, church? I want you to actually answer me, okay? True or false? Baptism saves you. What if I told you that was a trick question? What if I told you that was a trick question? Hear me out, all right? Don't let the confusion between the baptism of the Holy Ghost and water, what? Baptism of the Holy Ghost and the baptism of water are not the same thing. When you get saved, you are now indwelled with the Holy Spirit. We talk about regeneration, right? The spirit of regeneration. And that's what that is. We're getting saved. You get the the Holy Spirit when you get saved, right? If it is expedient for you that I go, because if not, the comforter will not, yada, 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 right? Water baptism does not save you. Water baptism is like this wedding ring that I've got, right? Am I any less married, church? No, right? Right in front of my wife. Y'all heard me say that, so I'm not going to get in trouble. But it's a picture to let all the honeys know that I'm off limits, right? That's the, way, that's the way that that works. So salvation is not a prerequisite. Salvation is not a pre, uh, it is a prerequisite uh, to join the body, but baptism, uh, water baptism um, is not. The Holy Ghost indwells you. It's a picture uh, of what you've done. So what that means is if you're going to, um, if you're going to uh, talk about what allows you to be a part of the body, then being saved should really be enough. Should really be enough. So why, so why do we talk about saved, baptized church membership? Pastor, didn't we talk about that? When we went through the Bible doctrines? You, t- you told me saved, baptized church membership. Why would, that, why would that be the case? 
you're kind of being a hypocrite. You're you're not really saying what you said before. Give me a minute. We're gonna go ahead and uh we're gonna go ahead and get to that. All right. Um, in a second, and you're gonna see why that's important. All right. Number one, salvation gets you into the body. Number two, physical membership reflects a spiritual one. Number three, salvation is the only real prerequisite for church membership. Number four, what does the church look like? They continue in the apostles' doctrine. Look at verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. It says this. It says, um, all right, Acts 42, or Acts chapter 2. There are not 42 chapters of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. I want you to circle that verse or underline it um, if you're the underlined type. Uh, because we're going to talk about what that what the apostles doctrine is. It's hard. I mean, if we really sat down and 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 put a an outline to the apostles doctrine and spent time with it, it would take us weeks to do. It would take us weeks to do. Why? Because we're going to break it down. What's the apostles doctrine? Number one, salvation by grace through faith and not of works. What you're going to find out is that they spend a lot of time. All right. Uh, a lot of time, especially that's from Ephesians chapter two. Where Jesus Christ, uh, or sorry, Paul tells them, is you're saved by grace and not through faith. Why? Lest any man should boast. Right? It is the gift of God. And so the apostles' doctrine, number one, was them letting, letting them know that it's not a works-based salvation. You cannot earn salvation. The work was already done um, on the cross uh, for you. Salvation by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. Number two, understanding the law was fulfilled in Christ, not destroyed, but fulfilled. Right? Christ said the two are not the same thing. Christ came to Christ came to them and said, Hey, you need to understand that I am the fulfillment of the law. What is the law? That there is a set of rules that you must follow, and if you do not fulfill those, you will die. That's it. 613 laws if you count, you know, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and love your neighbor likewise, all right? 613 of them, right? So it's important to realize that it's impossible for you to keep the law. It's impossible. You, there, you'll, you'll, you'll miss stuff that you didn't even know was in there. What was the purpose of the law if it was not to show you that you could completely fulfill it or completely manage it? The purpose of the law was to show you and me that we needed a savior. We needed a savior, Right? And what happens? They were, they were, the high priest, they were out there, they were, they were, they were slaughtering animals and, and performing the sacrifice, the, the sacrifice yearly. And what happens? The blood of the true lamb, the one lamb, the, the spotless lamb, was able to, to completely sever that practice for us. There's no reason that you should be out in your backyard slaughtering, you know, slaughtering little doves. Uh, well, I will slaughter a dove because I'm poor, right? Slaughtering little doves and, and putting them on the altar and, and praying down fire. Like, that's, that's weird. That's almost going to be, uh, you know, witchcraft. You know what I'm saying? You shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be doing that. Why? Because the lamb was already slain for you. And so what happens is one of the biggest problems that, start, that you see happening in the New Testament is the, is, the, um, is the, the, the apostles doing their best to try and show the Jews that we are no longer under the law. We're no longer under the law. We're no longer under the punishment of the law. Now, what does the Bible say now? He says, if you love me, then do what? Who can finish it? Keep my commandments, right? And so it kind of, the, the tone of it kind of switches. It's not do this or you'll die. It's do this because you love me, right? But I digress. And we're talking about, uh, we're talking about some, some of those things. And so the fulfillment of the law, he came to say, I did not, he came and he said, I'm not here to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. 
right? To, to, to appease it, right? Because what, was, what did the law say? The law was the, the cannon or the measuring rod for us that let us know that we were going to die and go to a burning hell because we've trespassed against God in sin, right? And so what happens? Christ comes and appeases the wrath of God because only God can face the wrath of God and survive it, right? And so he does that and fulfills the thirst of the law and thus fulfilling it was able to institute uh, something else. Salvation by grace through faith, not of works. Understanding that the law was fulfilled in Christ, not destroyed. Number three, engrafting Gentiles into the vine. Engrafting Gentiles into the vine. Who's a Gentile in here? I was waiting to see if you were going to put your hand up. <laughs> I, was gonna, I, was waiting to see, I was waiting to see Brother Howard put, Brother Howard's a Jew, y'all. And so I was waiting to see if Brother Howard's going to put his hand up. I was going to be like, ooh, you bad boy. All right? But engrafted Gentiles into the vine. That was one of the hardest things that the, that the Jews had to deal with, um, was realizing that they did not get to have Christ and his salvation all to themselves. That was a tough thing for them. And he spends a lot of time doing that because, of course, with Gentiles comes Gentile practices. Right, and so they came in there and they were eating meat, and they were out there and they were, you know, they were doing all kinds of different things, you know. And so they're like, "Whoa, we don't do that. We don't, we don't eat, you know, pig. We don't eat, uh, you know, we don't eat pork. We don't eat this. We don't eat that. We don't do this. We don't do this on the Sabbath. We don't do all these different things." And so they were like, "Whoa!" And so the the apostles had to come in and kind of do some damage control and make some clarity, some clarity about it. And we're gonna talk about that at another time, also. So keep your ears to the ground. For that, and so, and then lastly, one of the biggest elements of the apostles' doctrine was the institution of the doctrine of grace. The institution of the doctrine of grace. I said, number one, what's the apostles' doctrine? Salvation by grace through faith, not of works. Uh, number two, understanding that the law was fulfilled in Christ, not destroyed, but fulfilled. Number three, that uh, the Gentiles were engrafted into the vine. Number four institution of the doctrine of grace all right what does that mean that he says hey grace we can break it down to you know god's riches at christ's expense right we can break it down and so he says grace grace in in a nutshell is you not getting what you deserve it's you not getting what what you deserve that's God using his gavel and saying, hey, you, you, you trespass against the law, you're going to die. And before he smashes that gavel, Christ steps in front and says, hey, I'll take the punishment for them. That's grace. Not getting what you deserve. The doctrine of grace being in- instituted. Now keep in mind, what does Paul say in Romans chapter 6? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, church? All right, y'all know it. God forbid it. God forbid. He says, no, 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 no. That's not what that works. He says, that's not how that works. I want you to know that you are free from the punishment of the law, right? You're free from the punishment of the law, but that does not mean that you can just run rampant in sin. All right? It's important uh, to understand that. So um, if you can tell, I'm kind of just touching on these a little bit because I don't want to. They'll get their own day, you know, so I don't want to overwhelm on that. We're almost done, though, church. What does church membership look like? We can't have church etiquette without knowing what the church is. Number one, salvation gets you into the body. Number two, physical membership reflects the spiritual one. Number three, salvation is, only, is the only real prerequisite for church membership. Number four, continuing in the apostles' doctrine. Number five, fellowship. What is a church? The church has fellowship. Look at verse 42 again. It says, uh, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. All right, so what is it? We're going to touch on this a little bit later, but um, edifying of the saints. 
edifying of the saints. One of the reasons that God gives each and every single one of us in this room a spiritual gift, one of the reasons for it is to edify the body. Edify that spiritual body. We're not going to get too deep into that because we're going to talk about uh, spiritual gifts and how to use them and what they mean at a later time. All right. Then he talks about breaking bread, right? Having a good time, enjoying each other's company. Church, we like to eat, don't we? Boy, I can put it. I can put it down. I know I'm skinny. I'm only 160 pounds, but man, I can eat. I can eat. I like food. He says, breaking bread, having a good time, just enjoying each other's company, like real deal fellowship. All right. Um, Then this third thing, which actually I found out was the most mentioned uh, theme in regards to the what what the church should be doing. And that is being in harmony. Being in harmony. As I studied about the church, as I studied about the church um, and its conduct uh, to itself, the theme of oneness, harmony, and being like-minded constantly came up together. Being in agreement. That was one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure we did this series. So that our church can be in agreement. Be able to have a good, strong understanding. Uh, having a good, strong understanding um, of where, what we are and what we believe. And not looking at it like, hey, pastor said this. But no, we looked at the word together and figured out what it was that we wanted to do and what we were going to do. According to the word of God, oneness, harmony, being like minded, constantly coming together. This means, number one, the foundation for the church to be a universal one is valid. You understand? The Catholics had a good idea. The word Catholic means universal. They had a good idea. Didn't execute right, though. But it's important uh, to realize that. You look at the church and being transparent church, there were no denominations. There was the church at Galatia, the church at Philippi, the church at Colossae, the church in Thessalonica, the church at Galatia. You had all these different churches, but it wasn't, you know, such and such Baptist church, such and such Methodist church, such and such, you know, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't a thing. So why do, why, do, why, why do denominations exist? Well, I'm glad you asked. Of course, this will get its own day also, but just two quick reasons. Number one, error. What's going to happen when people walk in error, they're going to split and do their own thing, right? Number two, power. Number two, power. You look all throughout church history, you'll see imperial, imperial um, entities where they would use the church to control the people. And that's what, you know, again, the Catholics were really great at that. And they would excommunicate you. And of course, if you were excommunicated from the church, what does that mean? That you would be kick that you would be going to hell if you got excommunicated from the church, right? Which, of course, is a doctrinal error, right? So people will use these different, use religion to control the minds um, of people. And that's not the way that it's supposed to be. That's not the way that it's supposed to go um, at all. So the foundation for the church to be a universal one is valid. Uh, But number two, you actually are still brothers in Christ even if you disagree on secondary issues. What does that mean? That such and such church of Christ on the street, we may not agree on all secondary issues, but we're still brothers in Christ. The Methodist church down the street, you know what I'm saying? We're still the non-denominational church on the other side of the street. We're still brothers in Christ. We don't agree on, doc- on secondary issues, but we're still brothers. We're still brothers and sisters in Christ. Something for us to really uh, make sure that we understand and think about. But again, we'll give that more time as we move forward. We're almost done. Number six, 
Church etiquette. What do we have? There's an overseer. There's an overseer. Look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 8. Uh, verse 28, excuse me. We're almost done. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. There's an overseer. And this is going to be another Mythbuster church. So get ready for it. Acts chapter 20. I went to chapter 28. I said it four times and still did it wrong. Let's try again. Acts 20, verse 28. And it simply says this. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock which over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now what you'll find out is the church, right, being a called out assembly, right, people gathering together, that's not talking about gathering together in the building. It's talking about being an overseer over that spiritual flock. Does that make, does that make sense? The physical body mirrors the spiritual one like we were talking about. So for an overseer to lead people to a place of growth and development through a physical place is not anti-biblical. Does that make sense? If, there's some, if there are overseers in a neighborhood, right? God puts people, raises up ministers to, to be able to lead and shepherd the flock to say, hey, let's meet here so that we can work and grow together. It's not an anti-biblical principle. But understanding that it's not so much the fact that you have to be meeting at a physical building for it to be, for it to be a, uh, for you to be an overseer over it. Does that make sense? I'm saying a lot of stuff. What, what, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that, that spirit, the spiritual aspect of it transcends the walls. That's what I'm trying to say. The spiritual aspect of it transcends the walls. He didn't say be the overseer over the church. He said be an overseer over the flock. Right? Be an overseer over the flock. Your part in being able to work and grow that flock is almost like you're walking with a giant herd of sheep. Right? We're walking with a giant herd of sheep and you have different shepherds in the midst of it helping to guide. We're talking about the whole spiritual growth. So to say, hey, I'm going to meet here. Uh, I'm going to meet here um, at this spot is not anti-biblical if you think about the fact that it's about him leading from a spiritual position, not the physical one. Does that make sense? I said a lot of stuff just now. I said a lot of stuff right now, just now. I want us to understand that the church can, and just for instance, the church can exist without, an, without, a, without a physical head. The church that Dr. Riggs went to over in Texas, they were two years without, a, without an overseer. Two years. I couldn't believe that they were able to sustain a 300 plus membership with no pastor. They didn't do it. They, didn't, they, they just got together collectively. They were in harmony, in agreement, and they probably could have gone more years without having, having one. All right? Now, it's good, to have, it's good to have that overseer to help make sure that things are conducted the way that it's supposed to be run, but they, don't, they didn't technically uh, need one. The church can exist without a, fig, without a figurehead, but because it's not a physical body anyway, it's a spiritual one. Even so, the overseers of the church leadership have spiritual qualifications, right? I'm going to give you three, I'm going to give you three references. We don't, we're going to not look at them today because we're going to spend some more time on them individually, right? Uh, but I want to give you these references. The qualifications for a pastor or an overseer or an elder, all right? Here's two passages for you. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Those are the qualifications of a pastor, of an elder, of, a, of the overseer, right? 
And then you have the pastor's help, right? You have the deacons. What are the qualifications for a deacon? Those are found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Those are the qualifications. Those are the qualifications. Okay? So number one, salvation gets you into the body. Number two, physical membership reflects a spiritual one. Number three, salvation is the only real prerequisite for church membership. Number four, continuing in the apostles' doctrine. All right, number five, fellowship. Number six, there's an overseer. And number seven, turn over to Luke chapter 14 and we'll be done for today. Luke 14. Luke chapter 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 14. And look at verse 23. Verse 23. Well, back up to verse 22. Uh, it says, And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. Jesus Christ is giving a parable right now. All right? As thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. Verse 23. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. What is one of the biggest prerequisites for the body and what, how we should act, whether it be a, a spiritual one or a physical one? Service. There has to be service. It's great to be able to fellowship, to meet together, to eat some good old-fashioned chicken. Woo! Right? It's good to have all that stuff. But the church, along with worshiping God in, in structured ceremony or, um, or um, things like, you know, we didn't cover this tonight, but we'll, we'll talk about the Lord's Supper, right? And how do this as often as you're in remembrance of me. I don't want to leave that out. But of course, I'm just touching on stuff tonight. Uh, but service is huge. Service is huge. I don't want to get into it in detail. So if you miss these, don't worry about it because, again, it's going to get its own day. Right, uh, but what is service? We'll talk about um, we'll talk about how spreading the gospel. We'll talk about taking care of widows, orphans, and shut-ins. We'll talk about taking care of other believers, feeding the hungry, taking care of the homeless, and so much more. We look at the government to take care of stuff, while the church should be doing as much as the church can to help take care of the community that it's in. We have to be doing the best we can to f to provide for those needs. I understand that we're small right now. Big property, but we're a small group. And I know that there's only so much that we can do, but we still must be doing our best to help take care of the world, to take care um, of the people. So I just wanted to use this first sermon uh, for some general overview. We needed to talk about uh, what the church actually is and what kind of foundation um, it needed to have before we got any deeper. So you can't have church etiquette without knowing what the church, what the church is. And so uh, when we get together next time, we will talk about more in depth, more in detail, what some of those things are and how we should conduct ourselves properly according to the word. Amen. Amen.